Welcome to the 29th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I'm your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Megan Rogers is joining us again for today's episode, where she will continue to chart through her eating disorder and recovery experience. Last time, Megan spoke of early memories of using food as self-medication to manage dopamine dysregulation within her at the time undiagnosed ADHD. The need for stimulation and hyperfixation that characterizes Megan's ADHD manifested into many beautiful outcomes, but also into several eating disorders, including orthorexia and bulimia, which also were sources of stimulation in and of themselves, making it that much harder to quit. Her ultimate belief is that ADHD is a superpower if it can be channeled in the right way. So here we are picking up from where we left off, the bar. The environment that dooms one addicted to alcohol. Yet it is an environment in which we, those attempting eating disorder recovery, must live in for the rest of our lives. We cannot escape food. How can we let go of the eating disorder without letting go of eating? Uh, thank you so much for having me back on to to finish um, part of my story and, and the dots that I've kind of connected. And I'll start uh, in a similar fashion to last time that you know, please take what you need and leave what you don't. Um, and also thank you so much for bringing back in that parallel um, about, you know, trying to recover while still being in the bar. Um, I think that's a really, really powerful metaphor. But again, it's a metaphor in reminder that I'm not a doctor whatsoever so I'm going to share from my experience and for and from things that I know work and are true for me um, but they're true for me and they're true for me right now and they are definitely not um, science so anyway I will proceed from there but um, I'm so excited today to start with a concept and I think that I'm just I'm really excited to start with this um, because it's been so powerful but um I've applied this not only to recovery, but to my life in general and improving my life with ADHD. And the concept is, if you're faced with something really difficult, find ways to make it easier by design instead of relying on motivation to get you through it. Um, And that's because willpower, as I've learned, is actually biologically finite and it will always fail you eventually. So yeah, lim- limited willpower is something that's true for every human. Your willpower is finite. There's a specific amount of muscle and hormone balance in your brain that allows you to do really, really hard things every single day. And it's especially impacted for people with ADHD because it is a, it's an executive function disorder uh, that is the result or the primary impact of the dopamine dysregulation is that executive dysfunction and so if you're relying on your willpower to or by willpower I mean executive function if you're relying just on that to get you through every single day um, recovery is going to be really difficult looking and I think that really summarizes and again it's a summary there's a lot more detail to it but I think that really summarizes how hard it was to recover in high school and I'll go deeper into that, but I talked last time about all the little notes that I would write to myself, and I just tried to motivate myself into getting better. And so this, there's there's a bunch of things that I want to talk about related to this, um, but the first thing I'll also say is I think there is this huge pattern of people to or this tendency to try and shame ourselves into being better or shame ourselves into becoming a certain um, way that we're trying to change. And, and for a lot of people, this actually works for them. It, you know, it didn't, it didn't work for me because again, uh, the ADHD and executive dysfunction is uh, always going to win out. But there are a lot of people that, that try and, guilt trip themselves or shame themselves into achieving a goal instead of just finding a way to make it easier for themselves to achieve that goal. So yeah, I, I would say that um, that's, been, that's been really important, but I'll switch back and kind of start talking about how I've designed my life in favor of 
making recovery the easiest, most convenient option for myself um, so that I'm not always at war with my brain and doing what I just said about um, shaming myself into being better. Um, so I, I truly believe that anyone can benefit from understanding uh, this basic principle that we can achieve our goals when we make them easier to accomplish and try instead of trying to motivate ourselves over and over and white knuckling through it. And no matter where you are on the neurodiversity continuum and no matter what your big goal is, uh, whether that's to recover from, you know, an eating disorder, any type of mental health issue uh, or just to eat better for your health, start a business or get your work done faster, um, whatever it is that just just by making it easier there's a better there's a better way to get to where you're trying to go so executive dysfunction is the big overarching symptom of ADHD um so it's like i said remember how the name attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is so arbitrary it's like uh calling OCD hand washing disorder mm-hmm. it's like just a really uh one off symptom that they chose to name the entire disorder after um, and if I were to umbrella all the symptoms under one set of words, it would be executive dysfunction. That's the result of uh, the dopamine misfire going on. And so it makes it harder to stop something really interesting or rewarding. And it makes it harder to start something that feels really, really hard for the brain. So it impacts a bunch of key areas that are that are really critical for recovery, which is impulse control, mm-hmm. um, being able to switch into different ways of thinking, and and willpower. So, what do you what do what does a group of people do um, that are struggling with something so powerful that you know it's it's an addiction, and we have a stunted bandwidth, a stunted executive bandwidth. Um, compared to the average person. And again, this has nothing to do with intelligence. And if anything, you see results of this um, all around the world and throughout history of people actually succeeding because of their ADHD, because they couldn't put down whatever they were doing. So I think it, it, it really is just, was that person as a child encouraged to do the things they love? Did they use that stickiness and that determination to fuel them um so i mean not a lot of people talk about this simone biles and michael phelps bill gates walt disney um aaron brockovich these people that you think like holy shit they're just so determined like these these are adhders and you know some historical figures even that where they've gone back and analyzed their behavior um were diagnosed retroactively with adhd so Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, Picasso, Babe Ruth, John Lennon, several U.S. presidents. Mm. Um, and it's it, it does suck that, you know, all the people in history that I just mentioned are, are males. We know that the women are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we know that they're there. So and I'm sure we'll find that out eventually who those women were. But um, so anyway, it's you know, regardless of intelligence, it's hard for people with ADHD to stop doing something that your brain finds rewarding, stimulating as a release. Mm. Um, So what do you do with that in the context of addiction and mental health um, disorders? It's extremely hard for anyone to stop doing an addictive behavior because of how extremely rewarding it is for the brain. So what do you do if you're at this intersection of ADHD and disordered eating um, and you're trying to stop? And what do you do if you have a limited executive bandwidth and you're trying to stop something extremely rewarding for your brain? And that's what I was saying earlier is that biologically, anyone, it's it's a bad idea to rely on willpower, but particularly ADHD folks, you cannot rely on your own willpower as your primary means of recovering from an addiction because your willpower will fail you and you instead have to make it easier for yourself to be recovered by choosing your environment very carefully. Um, You have to design your environment, the choices that you make about your life so that this hard thing becomes easier for you. And so 
I can kind of go into the way that I've approached that in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that sounds great. I just want to mention, too, like hearing you talk about this, and we had talked about a little bit of this mm-hmm. last episode, um, but in my conversations with you, Megan, I am ceaselessly inspired by mm-hmm. your role as recovery advocate for yourself. Thank you. And this is a, a very unique approach to recovery, and it's kind of in this like design thinking vein. Um, and we talk about how recovery is individualized, and mm. this is proof of that, especially because it sounds as if your ADHD and the limited executive bandwidth mm. that you're that you're functioning with kind of necessitates this more design individualized approach to recovery. So mm-hmm. I just want to applaud you, you on on being that for yourself um, during your recovery process. Thank you. It's it's definitely not easy, and I can talk about that in a in a bit and because I'll, I'll go through some physical things that I've done with mm-hmm. my physical environment and then there's there's the whole social environment too which we will never be able to control to an extent we can control the people in our lives and you know what's going to come out of their mouths mm-hmm. uh but there's a lot that you can't pick so um I can dig into that as well but I'll, I'll share a couple of things um about how I've designed my physical environment and physical worlds. And, you know, again, this this isn't like a, a copy and paste type of thing where it's like, oh, like I can try these tips and it's gonna work for me. I, I'm i sharing this in hopes that what I've done can be a source of, of hope for you, that, that you can find your way mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe try a couple of these ideas and, and piecemeal your own recovery together. But the, the first thing um, that I'll talk about is I had a friend reach out after the last episode asking, um, what is your advice for surfing the wave and riding out urges? Um, and I just don't have great tips for that. Honestly, I don't. I have lots of tips for how to make a system to avoid having urges in the first place. Mm-hmm. And avoid the situation where I have to be, you know, taxing my brain in that way. It, it would be like akin to taking the SAT every day, you know. Yeah. And and uh, taking the SAT <laughs> for me was really hard because I have ADHD. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think that's actually a perfect metaphor. My SAT score started out at like a nine hundred, mm-hmm. and I just worked and worked and worked and worked to get it better. And it's like that's not sustainable. Um, so I think I'll. I'll try and paint the best picture of it as I can um, just over the radio. It's different. I can't hold up my water bottle and show you. But if mm-hmm. you picture um, just a standard size glass of water, that is is what I'm going to be using to kind of illustrate my level of tolerance. And this metaphor is held up for you know a while now, and so I'm comfortable kind of sharing it. But um, so again, ADHD, we have a, a limited executive function points per se, or we have a limited capacity to be doing things that are against our natural will. And it's, it's unsustainable. If the, cup rep- if the cup represents tolerance, it's unsustainable to be running the water over your cup every day, overflowing, trying to like, you know, keep yourself together. And I was watching the video or a video the other day, um, and this is actually the, the woman that um, actually first made me realize that I have ADHD uh, is a YouTuber named Purple Ella. And she's so, she's just like the kindest person, um, even though we've never met, it's just her videos. But she has a lot of videos about overstimulation um, and she's autistic. And so I never, I never thought that I was autistic, but I would watch these videos about certain topics they say that neurodiversity is is like a rainbow and so maybe ADHD is like the color blue um but you know folks with autism it's like the full rainbow of Mm -hmm. things that they encounter so I was just kind of watching um her videos that represented the blue band of the rainbow and really applied to being highly sensitive and Mm -hmm. um having uh more trouble with executive function this is what she said sometimes you know what you need, but you are not equipped as a person to be the one helping yourself. Mm. So you know you need to get up off the floor, but you can't pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Um, 
no matter how hard you try. And for me, the cup is a way of of keeping myself from falling on the ground in the first place Mm. instead of getting pushed over every day and and demanding that I pick myself up. Um, That's just not kind to yourself. My first conversation with Megan many, many months ago, she explained this cup metaphor to me and she used like her actual water bottle to Mm -hmm. help me visualize it. And ever since then, I've been (laughs) thinking about this cup metaphor and been meditating upon the notion of it like in my own life. Mm -hmm. So I think this will be really helpful for listeners um, because it's brilliant. Thank you. So the cup, If, if water overflowing out of the cup means that I cannot cope, um, that I've relapsed or I have a really bad binge urge that I need to write out, things that take water out of the cup, or things, actually, I'll, I'll tell it this way, things that add water to the cup, if I don't get enough sleep, mm-hmm. that's real. and now I see that all these bullet items are like how to care for yourself if you have ADHD, like mm-hmm. if you Google it. Um, if I don't get enough sleep, if I don't go for a run, and I don't mean uh, just like, any type of run but when I run I run hard as a release like to get the endorphins and like it's like the ah, you know mm-hmm. if I don't drink enough water um, again that's just like a if you google how to take care of yourself if you have ADHD people with ADHD need a lot of water uh, if I have a lot of social anxiety in the day or I face some type of social um, mishap or type of rejection if you are listening and you are impacted by ADHD uh I would encourage you to look up rejection dysphoria. It's uh, like a heightened sensitivity to um, being rejected by others. So, I mean, there could be a whole host of interaction between eating disorders and and that alone. Mm. Um, So imagine how that must fuel a disorder if you're really, like if you're so impacted by being rejected. But if I've hyper-focused for several hours, that adds water to the cup because I forget to move around. When I do a lot of really hard work for my brain, being over or understimulated, um, again, it's ADHD is about being able to attain that optimal level of stimulation. So if you're super bored or if you're you're way over overloaded, um, and then there's there's a bunch of other little things that uh, add water to my cup, um, but aren't inherently bad. Mm. Um, and so I have to plan my day accordingly. I have to leave room in my cup for those things. Mm-hmm. So if I eat something triggering, that adds water to the cup. Um, if I am just around a bunch of triggering foods, uh, that adds water to the cup. You know, this, the social anxiety that I mentioned. And if I don't keep water out of my cup... Um, you know, the metaphors that the water overflows and that represents relapse. Um, and I find myself having to surf an urge. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, you know, being about a, around a bunch of triggering foods yeah. and social interaction. So, hey, yeah. welcome to Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. dining hall, tailgating, parties, everything. It's college is just one big trigger. Yes. With a bow around it. Yeah. You know, welcome to Notre Dame, baby. Yeah. Like, and it's just like it would it would literally be impossible if I didn't manage my cup just to be recovered. And the nature of, of co- college in general being um, something that I have to leave room for in my cup is really important because the the next extension of the metaphor is if I have a relapse, let's say let's mm-hmm. say I relapsed last night. I wake up every morning, my cup's relatively empty if mm-hmm. I got enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't get enough sleep, then there's a little water in the cup. Or if mm-hmm. I had a really hard day the day before, maybe there's some water in there. Mm-hmm. Just like leftover tension, whatever. But if I relapse the day before, because your brain is neuroplastic, like, you know, the, the cup metaphor is not hard science here, but mm-hmm. like what is real science is neuroplasticity in your brain. And um, you you can break down certain patterns and rebuild others, mm-hmm. which is really inspiring. But, you know, a relapse is is just rebuilding that bridge a little bit in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that like, oh, yeah, your brain's 
that, you know, so much of what we do every day is automatic. And so engaging in that addictive behavior um, is going to rewire that pathway in your brain that's like, hey, we should do this to cope today instead of the other new things that we've been trying out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of a lot of my day to day experience, honestly, is managing my cup, which sounds like sad almost like it's a prison Mm -hmm. but if I didn't do that I wouldn't be able to do the things that I want to do in life Mm -hmm. and that I love to do Mm -hmm. and I think there's a lot of peace in saying that this is what I'm doing for myself right now Mm -hmm. to be okay yeah and and that's okay um you know I'm not able there's there's been moments where I'm like I'm so upset like why am I not just not able to be normal um, why can I not do all the th- same things that my friends are able to do without, you know, struggling? And I wouldn't be able to do them at all if I didn't take care of myself. And mm-hmm. again, my goal is, is recovery so that I can become a mom one day. Um, so think, think, <laughs> think about, I'm just giggling because think about the cup if you're a mom. Oh. <laughs> not getting enough sleep like you don't have time to exercise you know and it's it's like you know forget about it self-care forget about that you know um and I just I have so much respect um and I I haven't talked much about my family members just out of you know for the sake of their privacy Mm -hmm. and I just want to say like I every every year that passes I just have more and more respect for my parents and so much gratitude and so much love for them. Um, and so if you're wondering where they, they are in all of this, um, they're, they're right there with me and it's recovery is something that I've taken ownership of, but just because I'm not talking about them right now, doesn't Mm -hmm. mean they weren't there. Um, so anyway, I last, last extension of the metaphor that I'll kind of wrap up, um, the metaphor with is I started figuring out very early on in recovery that the size of my cup or the amount of water in it at the start of the day really changes um, with my cycle. Mm. And so I was laughing a few minutes ago about, you know, how hard it is to, I'm sure, to be a mom and to think about managing your mental health and as a cup um, because not only are you sacrificing everything for another person so that you might not be getting sleep or eating well or um, you know being able to get exercise in my hormones are just so impacted by the ADHD and that's something called um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder um, and the co-occurrence of PMDD in women with ADHD is huge. So if you are, and forgive me, it, it anyone with a uterus, if you have female hormones, mm-hmm. I would highly encourage you, if there's one thing I ask, if you're listening, is that if you have a uterus and you have ADHD, look into the symptoms of PMDD and see if, you know, it sounds like something you're experiencing. And if not, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> um, but... PMDD I'll I'll explain it's so it's so frustrating they have all these clinical studies and trials and all this research on ADHD but they're not done with women because women are unreliable for studies Mm. because of this I'm like isn't that isn't that worth studying in itself you know yeah and regardless of whether you have ADHD if you're someone with PMDD or just you know bad PMS and you haven't been able to to put your finger on it like the world is just so linear it's Mm -hmm. not it's not made for people with fluctuating hormones um and so I'm I'll explain that a little bit but I'm going to be probably battling the rest of my life to advocate for myself in the workplace and Mm. have to find words to tell whatever boss I'm working for that like hey some weeks I'm going to be so productive 
and some weeks I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to. I don't know how to like reconcile that at this point in time, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be an interesting personal growth um, journey. But yeah, and I know I had said before, applauding you for your self advocacy in a recovery context, but it comes there. There comes a limit to that, mm-hmm. and you know, within the medical community, within like research communities. Any number of things that in one way or another influence our diagnoses and then how we're treated for those diagnoses Mm -hmm. is really frustrating Mm -hmm. because there's only so much you can do. Megan Rogers can't Mm -hmm. single handedly fund, you know, this this study for PMDD or, Mm -hmm. you know, something related to ADHD. And it's and it's frustrating because you can only do so much and you can only protect yourself so much up until the limits of mm-hmm. what we have right now in terms of research, in terms of medical treatments, in terms of medication, and a number of different other things. So um, that's to say <laughs> that we we need we need research in these things, and yeah. I don't necessarily know how to get to that point, but they impact real humans and real humans' ability for survival and success. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, just again, applauding you for that, but with the recognition that there is a limit. Like, you cannot, you can only fight for yourself in certain contexts because other environments and other resources and studies and whatever that is accessible Mm -hmm. are faulty. Yeah. And are lacking so much that needs to be studied and researched. Mm-hmm. and put out into public discourse so yeah. yeah it's it's i mean it's it's like breadcrumbs the amount of research that's available on the intersection of pmdd and adhd for people with female hormones and i'll explain why that's so angering um estrogen is uh the hormone um that is is higher up in the first half of your cycle then around day 14, you ovulate, you release an egg. Um, and then for the rest of your cycle, estrogen drops off. And then you get around day 23 when you don't have any estrogen, uh, a spike of progesterone. It's a h- hormone that makes you real angry. It's like, you know, the classic uh, hormone associated with PMS where you think of, you know, someone's angry and weepy. Um and estrogen is the precursor for release of dopamine in the brain. Why are there no studies on this? Mm. If, if ADHD is a dopamine dysregulation disorder, if that is the primary lever and half the month you don't have the chemical that allows you to release that properly in your brain... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like medical community. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like and and so my recovery has been so helped by understanding that I have ADHD, but even more so to stay recovered. I feel like that's the last mile, last 10 miles of this marathon Mm -hmm. is to understand that I really need to design my life when I am in the second half of my cycle and in terms of medication, actually, I take um, 1.5 dose in the second half of my cycle. Um, and it, so it, it, to be honest, just from my own experience, medication has been so outrageously helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, again, really, really tough to get access to medication. Um, and for in my case, Adderall, when you have an eating disordered background, mm-hmm. um, and I, it, it makes me so sad um, to say this, but I had come to my therapist three times over the course of like a year and a half saying there's something wrong. I think I have ADHD. I think something, you know, or, uh, highly sensitive or whatever. And I gave her like 60 reasons why. And she's just like, I think you're just over exaggerating because you want 
Adderall. Oh my gosh. And it was so invalidating. Yeah. Um, That's a complete dismissal of everything you're going through and like the expertise that you know about your own life and your own recovery. And you clearly, I mean, just listening to this, like I think every single listener knows that Megan knows her shit. Like she (laughs) knows about all of these things and has researched them endlessly and no, and is an expert in her own. Thank you. In her own recovery, and the fact that over a year and a half, yeah. multiple times, coming to someone who is you know dedicated to your health mm-hmm. and trying to advocate for yourself, yeah, and being dismissed mm-hmm. and invalidated, and that's that angers me. That boils my blood because there shouldn't be barriers. Mm-hmm. to recovery especially at such a important intersection as ADHD and eating disorders yeah and and that- I don't blame her like that mm-hmm. is literally that is no fault of her own she's actually a fantastic therapist and fantastic medical professional in so many ways and she genuinely was always acting in my best interest and she had seen clients get on Adderall and um Adderall for me makes me feel normal like life is finally like pills aren't skills that's one of my favorite Mm. mantras but I feel like oh my god it's like two wheels of a bicycle whatever two fold two wings of a butterfly whatever (laughs) (laughs) like I it is Adderall is so helpful I think from like a stimulation perspective at least just being in college I was having to walk and work on the treadmill while chewing ice and or switching back and forth between gum, listening to music, um, and just trying to get something done. And I have another mm-hmm. friend who um, is, you know, she has ADHD and she's unmedicated and that's it's her own journey right now. And so we just chat back and forth about uh, what it's like to try and do anything in the second half of our cycle because mm-hmm. she's also impacted in mm-hmm. that way. And it's just like, oh my God, just to send an email, I'm like, patting my tummy, rubbing my head, um, patting my head, rubbing my tummy. That's the line. Anyway, um, (laughs) you know, I'm bouncing a basketball, like, uh, listening to YouTube. It's like, I, I can't, it's, it's like I'm having to do all these things just to keep myself stimulated enough to do such a basic task. And like, if you're always fiddling, you can't even do the task. So anyway, Adderall makes it so that I, actually can sit down and be here right now without mm. needing to run out and like do a bunch of jumping jacks um but yeah I I'll repeat something that I've heard on another podcast um which is if you are a psych major or in bio or anything um related to the medical community and you have the option to do a thesis I'm pleading with you to to do your research or your PhD or anything on on this topic, mm. um, I will be forever grateful, and and anyone that's in this position will be forever grateful. And there so needs to be research on it. So I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. With regarding the cut metaphor, um, I think it is extremely telling that I do have to take 1.5 of the medication. Um, in the second half of the month and before knowing anything about ADHD and about that I would be recovered for most of the month mm. and then every month it's like slipping on a banana peel and it's like what and you just the nature the nature of those fluctuating hormones is such that and especially if you're not aware of what's going on you gaslight yourself into thinking oh I am strong and capable enough to be recovered and then I just choose not to it's my fault mm. I'm ga- I'm gonna gaslight myself into say into thinking that no you can do it you're just lazy you drop the ball it's your fault you mm. don't want it enough you don't and so again I mentioned this at the very beginning of the episode you can you can shame yourself as much as you want and try to shame yourself into making progress regardless of whether it works at what cost to your self-esteem i used to sit in the shower after relapse and turn the water on cold 
just to punish myself. Mm. And I used to write myself letters saying, you will never be a good mom. You will never be able to have kids. You will never be a good friend. Look at all this time you wasted with your family. You know, if you relapse, you're a bad person. And so what, what is it? What are you saying to yourself when you do relapse? You're just confirming all this, all these terrible things about who you are. So I don't know, regardless of, regardless of whether or not, you know, doing that to yourself works at what cost. Mm -hmm. And, and that's all I'll say on that, but, um, well, thank you for sharing that (laughs) because that just like the generosity of being able to share these very personal moments. I really appreciate that. And I think a lot of the listeners will really appreciate that. I think you're right. There is so much shame surrounding eating disorders and whether it's self-inflicted or whether it's inflicted by the broken society that we live in, it exists nonetheless. And trying to work against that shame Mm -hmm. is one of the hardest battles. Yeah. I think I'll end with this. Um, Because I love learning these little scientific facts and, and being pushed forward by them. But shame, the experience of shame shuts down your brain. You can't learn when you are experiencing shame. So if there's ever a fact to empower you to be kind to yourself and to use kindness or to extend just a little bit of love to yourself right now instead of shame, I would say totally do that, you know? Even if you're doing the exact same thing, if you're gonna go make yourself go for a run, let it be out of love instead of out of shame. And I hope that everything you do in your life can be out of self-love and love for others and not and not shame, so. Wow, <laughs> I could cry right now. <laughs> that was beautiful Thanks. and beautifully put. And again, thank you so much for for being so vulnerable and willing to talk about really, really difficult things, really personal, vulnerable things. So, thank so thank you for lending your voice to that. Thank um, you so much. <laughs> so all new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast. Feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own eating disorder story, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment, financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTL has its very own Instagram and Twitter account, so if you would like to suggest your own episode topic, or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTIL Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, like Megan has done, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.